Hello there, and welcome to Blue Milk Latte, Star Wars podcast. I am your host, Kent, Blue Milk Latte Solace, and today we're going to be going over all things Chapter 20 of uh, The Mandalorian, Season 3 of The Mandalorian. We're just a smidge behind, but we're going to get caught up this week um, with stuff. We have Chris Christophsis Mead. He's currently out this week. He's a little under the weather. I'm getting over, uh, more or less, feeling under the weather, so um, it got us, but uh, but we're going to come out on top, of, you know, just in time for Star Wars Celebration and uh, some really meaty Mandalorian episodes here. Um, but before we get into the meat of the uh, Chapter 20 episode, I'll hit you with some, just some of my Star Wars adventures from this last week. Um, been listening to the uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi on audiobook during my commute uh, to work uh, here and there. Um, Very good so far, very fun. Um, And then it's more so a Star Wars adventure for next week, um, but I am going to be getting a new tattoo on my right forearm. It's going to be Arabesh um, or Arabek, depending upon, you know, who you ask, um, and it's gonna be, may the force be with you, M-T-F-B-W-Y, it's gonna be those symbols, uh, kind of going along my forearm there, it's gonna be pretty cool, I'm looking forward to it, um, can't wait to get it, to add to the rest of my, uh, my, my Star Wars, uh, (laughs) tattoo collection there, um, let's see, and then other than that, yeah, just watching, trying to get caught up on Bad Batch and watching The Mandalorian. We are up to date on Bad Batch as far as viewing, um, just not on the podcasting. But we'll get that all caught up this week, starting with today's episode. And without further ado, we'll get right into uh, our review and topics and what what our thoughts were here. Um, specifically mine, because I'm the uh, main main guy right now doing this thing. Um, so yeah, Season 3 it debuted on March 22nd 2023 i'm sorry chapter 20 of season three um directed by carl weathers written by john favreau and dave filoni um i'll mention later on which segments i thought dave filoni had his hand in writing but it'll be pretty evident here i think pretty soon um the timeline is it takes place in 9 aby um and uh, let's see here. It starts off with the official description is Din Djarin returns to the hidden Mandalorian covert. Um, so we start with uh, a nice little introduction to the playtime here between the younglings here. At the tribe's co- covert, many tribe members are training in combat, including hand-to-hand combat and blaster training. Judges are refereeing fights, declaring when each is over and indicating the winner. Away from this, on the beach, Grogu sits surrounded by what looks like stones. He watches curiously as several of them move and picks one up to discover that it is not a stone at all, but a stone crab. Uh, as he gazes curiously at it, Din Djarin arrives and picks him up, telling him that the playtime is over and he must now learn with the other foundlings. He brings Grogu to the training area and says that Grogu is the next challenger. Bo-Katan Kreese walks over and asks Din Djarin whether Grogu engaging in combat is a good idea, to which Din says that uh, if he's ever become an apprentice, he has to learn these things. Uh, the judge, however, agrees with Bo-Katan and says that Grogu is too small to fight, and Din Djarin overrules him by saying that he is his ward. After a pause, the judge asks Din Djarin what weapon he should, uh, the fight should be with, and Din Djarin gives the choice to rank Ragnar, uh, who is also... As we find out later on, he's uh, a son to one of the covert members. 
Um, yeah. Grogu's opponent, who chooses darts. As one of the adults fetches the darts, Ragnar asks why Grogu does not wear a helmet. To which Din Djarin replies that Grogu is too young to speak the Mandalorian Creed, and thus too young to wear a helmet. Ragnar says that if he is too young to wear a helmet, he is too young to fight. Din Djarin quotes the Creed, saying, One does not speak unless one knows. To which Ragnar declares that he does know. Uh, Din Djarin says that perhaps this is a lesson for him as well. Uh, each child is given a dart la launcher with three training darts loaded onto it, each of which do nothing more than leave a splodge of paint uh, where it hits rather than injuring, which is uh, kind of nice. You don't want to hurt your other uh, family and kids there. As Kreese buckles onto Grogu, she reassures him, saying that her father was the same way, and that it's just Din Djarin is proud of him. She pats him on the shoulder and instructs Grogu to go easy on Ragnar. The judge sets out the rules. Um, each one uh, has uh, three darts, which they may fire in or any order. A direct hit from which the mark must be visible scores one point. There's only one round, and the highest score wins. Din Djarin crouches down and tells Grogu that he should squeeze his fist to fire a dart, to which Kreese says he doesn't know how to fire darts. Incredulously, Din Djarin, unbothered, confidently tells Kreese to trust him. Um, the first two darts hit Grogu in the chest. So Ragnar gets uh, first paint or first blood or what have you. Um, let's see. Grogu fires none of his. Grogu looks back at Din, who gives him a pep talk. He has seen what Grogu is capable, capable of, and he should show everyone what he can do. This time, when the judge tells them to begin, Grogu uses the force to flip over Ragnar's head and fires all three darts, hitting Ragnar in the chest. The judge declares Grogu the winner, and as Ragnar rocks away, he is snatched up by a giant flying reptavian creature. Um, Dindaran aims his blaster at the creature, but Pazvizla stops him, saying that he might hit the child, and instead they should follow it to its lair. Vizla, Dindaran, and two other Mandalorians fly after the creature with their jetpacks. The group follows the creature over a mostly barren, rocky landscape until the jetpacks begin to fail and they run out of fuel. As Vizsla watches the Reptavian retreat in, uh, into the distance and laments that it's getting away, Kreese ships appear pursuing with ease. Later, they re reunite with Kreese back at the beach, and she shows everyone the, lo the location of the lair on a map. Vizsla points out that if they use the jetpacks, the beast will hear them and kill the child. So Kreese suggests scaling the mountain on foot, which everyone agrees with, and Din Djarin, Kreese, Vizsla... And uh, the Shriek Hawk training team set off in Kreese's ship as Grogu watches from the beach. Uh, the armorer leads Grogu into her forge where she heats a ladle into a cryo furnace. And she shapes the metal into a circle, cooling it before placing it into the forge's press. She says that the forge can reveal weaknesses and presses controls that make the press slam repeatedly onto the plate as Grogu looks on with a distressed expression. Grogu experiences a flashback to the siege of the Jedi Temple. Uh, a younger Grogu is in the Jedi Temple on the planet Coruscant, watching from his hovering pram as clone troopers from the 501st Legion attack the Jedi trying to defend him. As the Jedi are killed one by one, a Jedi shouts that someone needs to get Grogu to Kaloran back. Now, this is pretty cool for a few reasons. <clears throat> one, it's similar to a flashback that we get in Season 1 of The Mandalorian, Whenever we see Din Djarin, he's a young boy, and he's also getting some stuff made from the Forge. So you, they kind of get, not like Force Visions necessarily, but for some reason, 
when uh, you know these characters are watching the their armor being shaped and molded and stuff it triggers either flashbacks or what have you we get these visions so it's kind of interesting in that it rhymes both dinjarin and grogu their uh their kind of sequences kind of rhyme there the other cool really cool thing is keller and beck for those that don't know there it's he's from uh the uh jedi temple challenge like a kids reality sh- show it's a really fun show i really i thought it was really fun um to watch you know um take it with what it is but the lead uh, host of that show is keller and beck who was also nicknamed the Sabred Hand. Very cool character. But he's played by Ahmed Best, for, and for those that don't know, same guy who played Jar Jar Binks in 1999's The Phantom Menace. I'm really happy to see him back um, in a narrative um, feature as well. So it was really cool just to hear that name, and then to eventually see him as well was just super awesome. Uh, so Kellen Beck is one of the surviving Jedi guy who, who gets Grogu to an elevator, but is shot just as doors close. The elevators travel upwards and open to reveal Beck, who tells Grogu he'll be alright, even as troopers arrive and begin shooting at them. Uh, Beck deflects blaster bolts back at them, t- felling them, but more troopers arrive and Grogu takes off in the speeder. They are pursued by the Republic gunships through Coruscant, and one of the gunships manages to hit the engine of the speeder, which loses altitude but continues to fly. Beck leads them through a train tunnel and past Umate, uh, which is that rock that we saw in last week's episode. It's the highest point of the natural part of Coruscant um, from the planet, and then the rest of the industrial parts built up on top of that. Um, <coughs> excuse me, sorry. And they land hard on a platform next to a ship, and some Royal Naboo security forces... Uh, secure Grogu. One of the guards asks about other supervisors to which Beck replies, or I'm sorry, other survivors to which Beck replies that there are none. The guard tells him to take the ship uh, as a ship of clone troopers arrive. The ship takes off as Naboo guards start to firefight with clones and the flashback ends as Beck enters hyperspace. The armor continues to shape the circle of metal, eventually moving from hammering to inlaying complex circuitry on the underside. She tells Grogu that it is customary for everyone to donate a small amount towards the care of the tribe's foundlings, and is with that that uh, with this that she has forged the next piece of armor, a rondelle with the Mudhorn signet of Clan Mudhorn on the front. Uh, she affixes it to his chainmail and is so large on him that it covers his entire chest, which might be foreshadowing that maybe, hopefully not, but I mean maybe. Grogu's going to take some blaster fire, and I'm sure that thing that being that specific spot is going to be very handy, uh, you know, for taking a blaster bolt to the chest. All right. So, meanwhile, Kreese's ship lands in a canyon, and the expedition team disembarks. Kreese tells them that they will walk from here as they, uh, as they're in close, and the beast will hear them. They take a long trek from the rock formation, whose peak is where the nest is, and make camp for the night. Kreese asks Din Djarin how the tribe eats if they can't take off their helmets in the presence of others, to which Jin, Din, uh, you know, kind of explains that they have to go find uh, some isolated stuff uh, where no one can see the meat. Vistel informs Kreese that as the leader of the war potter, she has the privilege of being the only one who stays by the fire to eat. 
the next morning at first light, they scale the rock face as silently as possible using their grappling hooks. Um, kind of interesting stuff with the helmet. I mean, we know kind of from season one that when they eat, they do kind of need to find a solitary spot. But that uh, kind of stinks. Like, what if you want to be social while you have, like, your uh, peanut butter and jelly space sandwich? I don't know. Um you kind of have to kind of go off and be on your own and take your helmet off. Um, yeah, something kind of interesting. Uh, let's see, the next morning, yeah. They reach the nest discovered is empty of the large raptor, and Dinjarin's heat vision shows a cluster of warmth hidden by the brush that makes up the nest. Vizsla imme- immediately climbs into the nest and increases the admonishment that he should wait, uh, wait until they're cleared of all of it. Vizsla explained his urgency by revealing that Ragnar is his son. So there you go. Um, Paz Vizsla, the big heavy of the, uh, you know, this Mandalorian covert. Uh, he has a son named Ragnar. Kind of cool. Ragnar is also the one that we saw in the opening uh, episode of season three. Getting, um, you know, the ceremony and all that good stuff. So... <coughs> Uh, calling out for his son, uh, Vizsla accidentally wakes three raptor chicks who begin to attack him. Even as babies, they are far bigger than he is. And the adult raptor arrives and regurgitates Ragnar to feed the chicks who calls out for help. When Vizsla sc- scrambles to help him, the raptor picks Vizsla up in his mouth and Ragnar in his claws and flies off. Kreese uses her jetpack to go after them but is buffeted away by the raptor's wings as her jetpack temporarily malfunctions. She loses a pauldron, and just before she hits the water, she recovers, and she and Dindran are able to fire cables into the raptor's body. Kreese uses her cable to get to the raptor's head, where she is able to snap, stab it repeatedly in the eye. As the creature roars in pain, it drops Vizsla, who lands on one of the cliffs. So Chris kind of made this joke, I think, on last week's episode, but... It is funny that this Mandalorian covert, they chose to settle on this planet that more or less is like a monster island. There's like, there's big turtle monster fish things that want to eat you. There's even bigger fish than that. There's these raptor uh, bird things that are flying in the air. Pretty much the entire planet is big animals that want to eat you. Kind of an interesting choice for this Mandalorian covert to choose to... uh, Stay there for a little bit. <coughs> the other Mandalorians manage to get their lariats uh, around the creature, and Din Djarin is able to get his lariat around one of its wings, sending it off balance. Uh, he rescues Ragnar from its claws, and the raptor plunges into the lake. As it struggles to take off again, a dinosaur turtle rises from beneath, and it snaps it up on its jaws, pulling it down into the water. Dinjar and Ragnar land next to Vizsla, where Vizsla urgently, urgently asks if Ragnar is alright and hugs him. Ragnar assures him that he's okay, and Vizsla thanks Jarn, to which Jarn re- re- uh, replies, This is the way. And Vizsla echoes it. Very nice heroic moment there. Um, let's see. Kreese's ship transports them all back to the covert, where Vizsla and Ragnar uh, emerge to cheers and clapping. The armor approaches Kreese and tells her that she has done the highest honor of the creed, saving a foundling. Bo-Katan replies, this is the way, and the armor repeats it in response. 
Kreese tells her that they have brought back three other families in need of care and training. The three raptor chicks emerge from her ship, led out by a Mandalorian with a hunk of raw meat on a stick. Um, I wonder if this is foreshadowing that we might see those three raptor chicks larger and Mandalorians, like, you know, like, riding them or whatever into battle. That'd be pretty, pretty crazy, pretty fun. Uh, the armorer notices that Kreese is missing a pauldron and takes her to the forge so she can replace it. As she forges uh, the metal, she asks whether she should put the night owl on it, and Kreese hesitates, looking at the metal crafted into the shape of the mythosaur skull on the wall. She asks if it would be acceptable to wear one pauldron with the night owl and one with the mythosaur, to which the armorer replies, uh, declares that, yeah, that's acceptable, as the mythosaur belongs to all Mandalorians. <coughs> Watching the armor continue to create her new pauldron, Kreese asks hesitantly what the armor would say if she uh, she said she saw a mythosaur. You know, uh, the armor says Kreese would be lucky as it is a noble vision, and Kreese tries to clarify that it was real. The armor just says this is the way. When she leaves the forge, Kreese stays behind, staring at the skull on the wall. So I wonder. A lot of I feel like there's a lot of setup and a lot of foreshadowing in this episode. Um, I think Grogu's little uh, now like best car vest uh, thing will come in handy during a attack or some battle later on. I feel like that uh, Bo-Katan is gonna have something going on with that Mythosaur. Whether she fights it, she conquers it, she rides it, something I don't know. I think it's going to be pretty epic, though. Um, and, yeah, overall, this was a, just a pretty fun episode. Oh, so, obviously, what I was mentioning at the top of the episode, Dave Filoni, I'm pretty sure, wrote the Order 66 stuff with Kaloran Beck, and Dave Filoni took care of all the Mandalorian character stuff. I'm 99% sure of that, and I'm, you know, it's not confirmed, but it just makes too much sense uh, for that not to, not to be what it is. Um... Overall, I thought this was a, you know, fairly fun episode. Nothing earth-shattering happening. We get to learn even more about the Mando culture of the specific covert. And uh, we get to see some cool character moments. And again, Ahmed Best is back. He, he did, And he did so well in his, his reappearance there. Um, I mean, I, I don't know how the listener, how you listeners feel about it, but... I'd like to see Jar Jar come back in some capacity as well. I think it'd be super cool, super fun. Um, maybe not necessarily like a huge featured role or anything, but just a nice little cameo or an appearance or a supporting character on an episode or something like that. I don't know, something. I feel that Jar Jar should have his moment in the this, this sun yet again at some point here. Um, let me know what you guys think, what, what you thought about the episode, whether you'd like to see... Jar Jar back, whether, you know, um, you think that some of my f foreshadowing thoughts are accurate or not accurate, just uh, feel free to let me know. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and even TikTok. You can even leave uh, your comments, I think, on some Spotify um, lists that we have there. And then also, if you can't, just leave us a rating and review on if you listen on Apple, if you listen on Spotify, Google Podcasts, whatever it is. Leave us just a quick review. We like, hey, thumbs up. This is the way. Love this podcast. Um, it would really help. It would be really awesome of you guys. 
Um, that's all we have for you guys this week. We'll be back soon, very soon, with Chapter 21 of The Mandalorian, and eventually Chapter 22, because as of the time of this recording, I believe Chapter 22 is about to drop uh, in, like, 30 minutes, because I'm recording this at night. Um, yeah, so thank you guys so much for listening. What I will leave you guys with is uh, make sure to ma- watch more, you know, be up to date on the Mandalorian, and then also, um, uh, let's see, pick a room, any room in your house, and try to organize a little bit. I did that a little bit over this last week or so, and it really uh, kind of is therapeutic, and it kind of, I don't know, it's just nice to know where some of your stuff is, and some of the stuff that you, <coughs> uh, you know, just really uh, need to know where it's at. And stuff that you intentionally want in certain places. I just found that it helped me out a lot. I don't know. Very random, I know. But, uh, yeah. I'll leave you guys with that. Uh, This is the way. And may the force be with you.